I am going to tell you a really important truth that we repeat, uh, we repeat from time to time at the table. Uh, so perhaps you've heard this before, but that's because it is worth repeating. And that is this. There are some areas in life in which the things that you do lead to the person that you are. That is, your actions lead to your status. Your status is a result of your activity and your actions. Uh, the Matt Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams are an example of this. They are right now reigning Super Bowl champs. And the reason they are reigning Super Bowl champs is because of what they did. That is, they had a decent enough record in the NFL to get into the playoffs, and then they won each successive round of the playoffs till they got to the Super Bowl, and then they won that game. So what they did win leads to who they now are, Super Bowl champs. Most of you right now are actually in this category. Most of you here are university students. Uh, whether you're at OSU or NFC or wherever, you are uh, some form of college student. And the reason you are some form of college student is because of several things that you did. You graduated high school and you got a diploma. You, you had enough academic, uh, academic achievements, uh, GPA that was high enough, test scores uh, on SATs that were high enough to be able to get in. You enrolled and someone, you or your parents or the government or somebody paid a lot of money. But because all three of those things took place, those things that you did led to what you now are, a university student. But there are some things in which it works in the exact reverse order. There's some areas of life where who you are leads to what you do. Where it's not your actions that give you your status, it's your status that gives you your actions. Uh, a long time ago, when I was younger, I went to a Moss family reunion. And the reason I went to a Moss family reunion is because I am a Moss. What I, or who I am, led to what I did. Now, that wouldn't work, actually, for you. It doesn't work the opposite way. You don't, if you were to just come with me to that family reunion, that doesn't make you a moss. What you do does not give you any sort of status or name there. It actually work, works in reverse order. Who I am led to what I would do. There are some areas that are like this, and if you want to get a good idea of how religion and spirituality and faith works, you need to understand those truths. Because in most religious practices throughout history, even in what we might just call like spirituality today and the way people act, it almost always works this way, that my actions give me my status. Whether that's the old pagan uh, rituals and religions of the near, uh, ancient Near Eastern world, when I do certain things, when I sacrifice to the idols, when I live in a certain way, then the gods will be pleased with me. I will be considered in good standing with the gods and they will give me the things that I want. That's true in Islam today, that if I am a good Muslim who follows the Quran and who follows the, the, uh, upholds the five pillars of Islam, then, then I will be in right standing with Allah that makes me a good person. It's true in Hinduism. Uh, this is how karma works. My actions, what I do, leads to who I am in the next life. And this is true over and over and over again in virtually every religion or every spiritual practice or every sort of belief system except for Christianity. Christianity actually reverses that. In Christianity, it is not your actions that give you your status. It is your status that gives you your actions.
It is always, we see in the New Testament, almost always, that the, for you English majors, the indicatives lead to the imperatives. That is, the statements of truth about me are what create the commands that I am then to follow. And sometimes you will see this really clearly, like the, the entire structure of some of Paul's books are laid out this way. For example, a couple years ago, we studied the book of Romans, and Romans does nothing like for the first 11 chapters, Paul just talks gospel. Paul talks about who God is and who we are that is made in his image to know him and follow him, but we have sinned and we have walked away from him and been separated and broken by our sin, and yet God in his love and mercy has sent his son to redeem us and to pay for our sins and to make a way back for us. And Paul just talks about this, the gospel, over and over and over again for 11 solid chapters. And then finally, he gets to chapter 12. And the very first verse in chapter 12 goes like this. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, in other words, in light of everything I just told you about who you now are in Jesus, what he has done for you, therefore, in view of God's mercies, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Who you are now because of Jesus leads to what you do. And he'll spend the next few chapters explaining how we live our lives. Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is laid out just like this. We talked through Ephesians last year. Ephesians is six chapters long, and the first three chapters have no real imperative statements in it. It's really interesting. Read it sometime. All he does for the first three chapters is tell you about Jesus. And he tells you about the identity that you have been given in Christ. That when you were dead in your sins, Jesus came to save you and redeem you and bring you back and give you this new identity that you are now an adopted son or an adopted daughter in the family of God. And then he gets to chapter 4, verse 1, and he says, Therefore, uh, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And so the indicatives leads to the imperatives. Sometimes we see this just in little bitty instances. In 1 Corinthians 6, we already studied this. When Paul speaks against sexual sin, and he tells them that they should not engage in all these sinful sexual practices that they've been involved in. He doesn't say to them, don't do bad things sexually because that's icky. And that's gross. If you want to be a good Christian, you shouldn't do those things. No. He actually goes back to the truths about who they are. In Ephesians 6, 19, and 20, he will say to them, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And then he says, You are not your own. You were bought with the price that is the very blood of Jesus. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The reason you don't give in to sexual sin is not because it makes you a really clean and neat and pure person when you don't give in to sexual sin. You don't give in to sexual sin because Jesus has already made you a clean and pure person. And therefore you live like that clean and pure person that he has made you to be. You were bought at a price. Another example is one that Alexia just gave to us. Ephesians 2, chapter 10, this idea, and this is a big verse in chapter 10, that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. But actually, that whole text kind of goes together like this. I think we've got it up on the screen, starting in verse 8, says this, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast." 
For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Paul says this, there is nothing that you did to give yourself the identity that you have. It was given to you freely. When a person places their faith in Jesus, this is given to them freely by God's good grace. But now, that identity has been given to you. And part of that identity is this, you are the very workmanship of God remade into the image of Christ, and he made you that way so that you could now do good works in the world that he prepared in advance for you to do. This is what it is to be a Christian. This is what it is to be a follower of Jesus. We are to do the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, and one of the really important ways that we do that is through the spiritual gifts that he has given to us. This is a fairly big deal in the New Testament. Alexia mentioned this. Paul devotes three chapters to it here in 1 Corinthians. And this isn't the only place. There are actually four different places in the New Testament where spiritual gifts are talked about and taught on. I'll read them to you. You don't have to write them down yet because I'll put them up on the screen in just a second. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4 all talk about spiritual gifts. But for all the writing that we have about them in the New Testament, there are still a lot of questions that people have about these things, about what they are. There's still a lot of debate between people about what exactly goes down with some of them. What is prophecy exactly? What is tongues? Do all the gifts, as Alexia mentioned, do they continue on forever or did they end when the apostles died off? Um, can I get more spiritual gifts than I already have? Do I only get one or more? And if so, how do I get more gifts? What if, and here's the big one, what if I have no idea what my gift is? My guess is there's a number of you in here right now asking that very question. Man, I, I, I would love to get to experience the joy of using my spiritual gift. If someone could tell me what that is, that would be great. And you wrestle with those things. I don't have all the answers. There are some things that I do know, and there are some things that I don't know about spiritual gifts. And I want to share some of those with you tonight. Actually, I want to, I want to tell you three things that I do not know about spiritual gifts. And I want to talk to you about four things that I do know about spiritual gifts. So jump in with me. The first one is this. I don't know what all the gifts are. And you can put in parentheses, and neither does anyone else. There's this famous uh, cult leader. You may have heard of his name. He's a really big deal in uh, 60s and 70s named Jim Jones. And there's this really famous thing where he got a bunch of people to drink Kool-Aid and commit suicide and all these things. But one of the things that Jim Jones used to advertise himself as, it, they would put these posters up that would say, come here the man who possesses all nine spiritual gifts, which is kind of silly. Alexia said, if someone ever tells you God says this, you might want to run away. Listen, if someone ever tells you I have all the spiritual gifts, then you might run want to run away. Uh, also, the thing that's kind of funny about this is that the Bible, there are more than nine gifts. Uh, so when somebody says, I have all nine gifts, it's like, okay, but you know that there's more than that in. Uh, actually, if, if you read through the different like, scriptures, there's a number of different gifts listed. What I think is funny is what Jim Jones was doing was he was taking the nine gifts that we just read about. In 1 Corinthians 12, there are nine mentioned there that Alexia just walked down through with you. If he had just read like a little bit longer to the end of the chapter, he would have seen that Paul lists more gifts at the end of the chapter. 
So he just stopped a little too short before he started hanging the posters up, okay? But if anybody ever says that, then you go, okay, I don't know about that because the truth is I, I don't know that we know. I just came across a, a website today. There are a number of websites that offer these like spiritual gift assessments where you can go on and you can learn things about, uh, try to take this test to kind of figure out what your gift is. And this is one of those websites. They had an article on there that was entitled this, Full Definitions and Descriptions of Every Spiritual Gift. I remember reading that and thinking, I wonder how they know what every spiritual gift is. I'll I'll tell you what they did. I I assumed this is probably what they would do. And this is what a lot of people do, and I I totally get this, is they they, they run to all four chapters that we mentioned, and then they take those gifts and they compile them together and go, this is all the gifts here. Actually, I want to show you those real quick, and just so you can kind of see where they all are, and you don't have to write out, down all the gifts or whatever, but these are the four main areas. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, 28, Romans 12, 1 through 8, Ephesians 4, 7 through 16, and then 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. These are the four areas where the spiritual gifts are talked about. Uh, Paul will obviously, in, in, I say obviously, in the next couple chapters, uh, Paul will line out more about the gifts, but these are where most of them are listed. And just so you know, this is what we're doing right now. There's, there's a, a uh, tool in interpreting the Bible that we just call parallel passages. We, we talked to you about how we don't want to just study the Bible with you, we want to teach you how to study the Bible. And, and one of the things you can do if you want to get a better grasp on a passage is you can go find texts that talk about that similar idea. And you, you let these texts talk to each other. You let these texts inform each other. And so what we're doing is we're just looking at parallel passages. Now, there may be a few things that you notice as you look at that up there. First of all, you'll see some overlap in a lot of these. Prophecy comes up three different times in there. Uh, apostleship comes up uh, two different times in there. Serving comes up in a couple different places. So you'll see that there are a number of different overlap in there. But you'll also see that almost all of them add something new. Except for Peter, he basically just sums them all up into two different types, which is speaking gifts and serving gifts, gifts of the word and gifts of deed, okay? But you'll see they all add something new, which means this. None of these lists are meant to be exhaustive. When Paul writes, he's not going, hey, guess what, Corinthians, I'm only going to tell you 14. You've got to go find the Roman church and see if you can get their list, and then you can find out the rest of them. Okay, and, and Romans, you're, you're only going to have a handful, so you better go talk to the Corinthians. That's not what he's doing. He's not trying to give them an exhaustive list. He's merely giving them examples as he goes off the top of his head, which means I believe that there's way more gifts than this. I think it's very possible that there may be hundreds of spiritual gifts that are given by the Holy Spirit for the church. Um, another thing that you may notice is that some of these look very, really normal, if you will. Right? Like the gift of prophecy sounds really incredible, but there's also such a thing as the gift of teaching or the gift of encouragement or giving or, as we see, serving. Things that might sound normal. There are also things that every Christian is supposed to do. Every Christian is supposed to serve. And yet, Paul says there are some people who have a particular gift in this ability or in in this area. That something happens when they use those gifts that does something bigger. Let me give you um, 
Let me give you kind of a definition. This is John Piper's definition of spiritual gifts, and I think it's fairly helpful. This is how he defines them. He says spiritual gifts, first of all, this isn't on the slide behind me, but he says spiritual gifts are not limited, are not a limited and defined group of activities that are spelled out in the New Testament. Rather, he says, and here's his definition, spiritual gifts are any ability given by the Holy Spirit to express our faith effectively, whether that is in word or in deed, for the strengthening of someone else's faith. There are any ability given by the Spirit to express our faith effectively for the strengthening of someone else's faith. And that's important there that, because there are actually a lot of people who aren't even Christians who have gifts of like teaching and gifts of encouragement. God-given gifts that have been given to them, whether they recognize that or not, those gifts are from God, and yet we wouldn't call those spiritual gifts because a spiritual gift is something that is operated by faith that I am leaning into and I am praying for and I am seeking God to work through this as I do it, and it is strengthening the faith of other people. And there's some level of effectiveness that takes place in that. I, I, I think that in our spiritual gifts, even though we're all called to serve and we all ought to want to share the good news of Jesus with people and we all want to be able to encourage in those things, there are some people that when they do those things, the Spirit gets involved and there's this level of effectiveness that cannot be fully explained by human reasoning or human logic. Oh, my friend Anna, I believe, uh, that I used to work with, has the gift of evangelism. And Anna would have these really odd things happen. We all want to be able to talk to people about Jesus. And Anna loved to talk to people about Jesus and, and loved to tell people about the good news of him. But there was this weird thing sometimes where Anna, like, Extra things happened when she wanted to be able to share the gospel with people. One day, it was the very first day that we were stepping on this campus in the middle of Cyprus. I've told you a little bit about our time in Cyprus. And it was our very first time, this island in the Mediterranean, um, the side that we were on was 99% Muslim. There are virtually no Christians on the island. And we began to prayer walk through this university campus there. And I remember we started before the day and there was like five of us and we got in a circle and we prayed and this other girl prayed this, God, give us one person to share the gospel with today. And as soon as she said that, I remember sitting there rolling my eyes and going, oh gosh, because there's, there was a couple problems with that. First of all, it was summer break, so there's not going to be anybody on campus. We're just walking there just to pray over it, okay? We're not even trying to engage. I don't even know if anybody's there, right? And she's praying this, and I just thought in my mind, we're all just going to be disappointed because you prayed this thing that can't happen now. And we're walking on campus, and we split up, and we go on, and Anna is walking, and she goes into the library. She sees this girl, and, and she's wearing this yellow shirt, and Anna's like, I'm just going to go talk to this girl. And she said, I like your shirt. And, and they just kind of started this conversation. The girl's name was Mune. We became friends with her later. This girl's name was Mune. And they sat there and they struck up a conversation for a little bit. And then they just kind of started talking about while they were there. And, and Anna was like, yeah, what are you doing here at the library today? And she said, well, actually, uh, I came here to see if I could learn about Jesus. She said, yeah, I actually, I, last night I was watching this movie. It's called The Passion of the Christ. And it got me really, really curious. And so I I really wanted to know more about Jesus, so I came here to see if I could learn some stuff about him. And I was like, well, I might be able to help you with that. Uh, it was like one of those weird things. One time, Anna sat on a bus in the middle of Cyprus, surrounded by people who are not Christians, on a campus where nobody knows Jesus, and nobody's ever gone to Sunday school a day in their life. And the girl that's sitting next to her is from the Middle East, and as she's sitting next to this girl, this girl starts whistling the tune of Jesus Loves Me. 
And Anna's like, um, are, you, are you whistling Jesus Loves Me? And she's like, uh, yeah, that's the name of it. I, this is a song. I went to this little private school when I was a kid, and, they, and they, used, they taught us that song. I had forgotten about what it was, whatever. And so Anna got to strike up a conversation. There are these weird things that would kind of happen where Anna would have these extra opportunities to be able to share the good news of Jesus. I think that is the gift of evangelism. I, I have a couple in our life group, Mike and Nisha Hafner, and I think they have the gift of service. They do these things for our family sometimes um, that would, wouldn't be a big deal to, to a lot of people. Mowing our lawn while I was gone, helping with the camp, and my wife was at home with the kids. Or one time, another time when I was gone and the kids were sick, and they brought by medicine and some food and some stuff like that for my wife who couldn't get out of the house. And little simple things that might not be a big deal, but there's something about, like, every time they do it, the timing seems to be perfect. And it strengthens us. And I find this joy welling up in me for God and his people by the way they do it. There's something about that. And, and I don't know what all the gifts are, but I know that any ability that is put to use to strengthen the faith can count as that. Okay, need to, I'll move fast with some of these other ones. Here's another thing I don't know. I don't know how to define specifically what each gift is. Back to that website that article, full definitions and descriptions of every gift. I don't know if it's possible to give full definitions and descriptions because as Alexia mentioned, the New Testament doesn't give us full definitions and descriptions. And so we have some ideas as to what they are. And Alexia did a good job of kind of teaching and explaining some of those things. But we don't know exactly what they all look like. There is a lot of debate over what exactly prophecy is. Does it mean when someone has the gift of prophecy that they speak inerrantly and that their word is on the same page as Scripture, in which case that gift probably did die out when the apostles died? Or does prophecy mean, as Alexia mentioned, the ability to kind of speak things that God reveals to people uh, and, and sometimes kind of get a sense for what God may be trying to say to someone. We don't know exactly what those are, um, but, but we, we, we just take guesses at that. We don't know all of those. Here's another thing I don't know, and this one will frustrate you. I don't know exactly how to tell you what your gift is. I don't know exactly what your gift is, and I don't know exactly how to know what your gift is. There are, as I said, assessments that you can take. People have put together these little tests and stuff that you can do online. Sunnybrook actually has one that we offer. It's called Place. And it, they'll, you'll do this long online assessment that helps you kind of get a grasp on what your spiritual gifts may or may not be. It's a good start to do those things. I think those things are okay. But I, I know this, that those can't tell you perfectly. What's, what's your gift is, partly because they're limited. They, they're only going to have the gifts that we saw listed up on the screen there. They can't have all of the gifts on there. Probably the most helpful thing I've seen in trying to determine what your spiritual gift is, what the Holy Spirit has given you, is this little Venn diagram that uh, is J.D. Greer has in his book. It's called Jesus Continued, and it looks like this. That if you were to take these three areas of, uh, that you see, he used these kind of three A's to try and kind of help it make it memorable, uh, your ability, what kind of things are you just kind of good at? What things do you have abilities in? Uh, affinity, what things do you like? What do you get passionate about? What do you enjoy doing? What things really kind of get your fire going? Um, and then this last one, affirmation. Where have other people spoken to you and said, man, I see this gift in you? Or when you did that, that was encouraging to me. 
that strengthened me. Or I just want to affirm where I, where I feel like the Spirit might want to use you. I, I think that this is a really at least a great uh, tool to try to help discern those things. But that's about as much as I can give you, at least from the stage here today. Now, let me give you four things that I do know about spiritual gifts. First thing is this. I know that everyone who is a part of Christ's body has at least one gift. The text that we read makes this pretty clear. 1 Corinthians 12, 7. A manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. That when you place your faith in Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, when you gave your life to Jesus, the Holy Spirit came to reside within you. And when he came to you, he gifted you with a specific talent or ability to be used for the common good. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have one. It's there. You have the Spirit and you have a gift. Now here's where you go, yeah, but I don't know what that is, Drew. It's really great to know. I still need someone to tell me what it is. How do I figure that out so I can start to use it? Here's the second thing I know, and this is important. I know that finding or labeling your gift is not as important as using your gift. That may surprise you because you might go, yeah, yeah, but how in the the world am I supposed to use a gift that I don't know what it is? But I'm coming to believe this more and more that you don't need to know your gift before you use it. You know, for most of history, I'm just going to drop a little bit of knowledge on you here, a little bit of background, Bible background history. For most of history, like in, in the first century when 1 Corinthians was written, the Internet did not exist. Okay, a little background for you. It always helps you understand the text a little bit to know the background. The Internet did not exist, which means online assessments did not exist. Okay? And I promise you, for the last 2,000 years, they weren't just sitting around a church going, can't wait till someone invents Google so we can figure out what our gifts are. <laughs> right? Like they, they, they didn't need to, to know those things. They didn't need to have something tell them, uh, some sort of test or anything to inform them for them to be able to begin to use those things. You know what they did for 2,000 years before the Internet was invented? And you know what you should do even now that the Internet's invented? Here's what they did. They asked, how can I build up Christ's church? And then they prayed that God would use their service to strengthen others and that God would help them see their gift as they did it. And so they didn't, they didn't sit down and try and figure out, what's my gift, what's my gift, what's my gift, and then go put to use what they did is they just began to serve the body of Christ. They just began to serve the church, and as they began to serve the church, and as they prayed for God to use them in serving the church, and as they prayed for God to help them see these things, then then that stuff began to become more clear to them. And I don't know, there's, there's probably a decent chance that there are Christians who have come and gone and lived their whole life without knowing what their gift was, and yet the Spirit used that gift. I think that that can happen. Think about that Venn diagram I showed you just a minute ago, those three circles. Do you know the key with that is that none of those things work in isolation? But you cannot discover your abilities to encourage the church without serving the church. You can't discover your affinities and what you enjoy doing in those things. And you cannot be affirmed by brothers and sisters in the church to say, man, that blessed me, that strengthened me, that encouraged me. If you're not serving, one of the best ways to begin to discover gifts is to start serving even before you know your gifts. 
I think that that is really key. Let me give you a third thing that I know about spiritual gifts. I know that the gift that was given to you is not for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, once again, says a manifestation of the Spirit is given to each person for the common good. And that idea, that idea of for the common good, for the building up the body, is repeated in every one of the four texts that I gave to you. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4. But I want to read to you from 1 Peter 4 real quick, specifically 1 Peter 4.10. If I can get to it. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. As everyone has received a gift, use that to serve others as varied stewards of the grace of God. A steward is a person who doesn't own something, but they're put in charge of it so that they can use it for their, for their boss's purposes, for their master's purposes. And so the gifts that have been given to you don't belong to you, they belong to God, and they don't belong to you, they actually belong to the church. He gave them to you to be used for other people. That's what First Peter is telling us to do there in that moment. And again, to quote John Piper, he says actually the foundational problem for us when it comes to spiritual gifts is this. I'll read this, and I think I've got the quote there on the screen. He says, I really believe that the problem of not knowing our spiritual gifts is not a basic problem. What he means is that's not the foundational problem. More basic, more foundational is the problem of not desiring very much to strengthen other people's faith. What I have been guilty of doing sometimes with those spiritual gift assessments is treating them like a Christian Enneagram, is treating them like a Christian Myers-Briggs test. And, and the truth is, what I really was excited about in knowing my spiritual gifts is I wanted to know about me. And I wanted to know what makes me tick. And I wanted to know what makes me significant. And I wanted to know what, what will bring me the most fulfillment and personal self-fulfillment in my life. But that's, that's anti-biblical. It's okay to know your gifts. And actually, knowing your gift and being able to serve in it does bring joy. That's something I want for you. That's something I pray for my kids all the time, that they would know their gifts. It's, it's okay to want to know and find joy in it. But the primary purpose of our gifts is knowing it for other people so that they can be blessed and served by it. There is joy in knowing, but it is not the purpose. It is used to build others up, not to build me up. Here's the last thing I know. I know that you are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works. That is, you were not made to constantly look inward at your own giftedness or at your own greatness or at your own deficiencies or at your own weakness or at your own needs. You were made like God to turn outwards and to move in love towards others. Just as God is constantly moving, the three persons of the Trinity, moving in love towards one another, and then moving in love towards us, to be made in his image means that you were made to move towards others in love, to serve and to put them before yourself. I know that you were made to be like him, but that um, in our sin and brokenness we were turned inward, and yet he has redeemed you and remade you in Christ. And I know this, that that's not true of all of us. I know that there are some in here that that might not be you yet, but I know that that invitation is made there to you. 
that, that there are two categories in here. There are those who, as Ephesians 2.10 says, you are God's workmanship created in Christ to do good works. Or there are those of you that God is waiting on the edge of his seat to make you his workmanship, to do the good works that he prepared in advance for you to do. And he offers you to step into this new identity that he freely gives you. That is the greatest indicative in the whole world, that you are redeemed by Jesus, made into his likeness that leads to the greatest imperatives in the world, to love God and love people as you were made to do. I know that about you. I know that that's what you were made for. And if you don't know about that yet and you want to know more about that, we would love to talk to you about that. If you already know that, if you've already given your life to Jesus and you're trying to figure out, what do I do from here? We actually want to help you with that. One of the things we want to do, and, and we'd love to talk with you and help you think through spiritual gifts, but one of the things we want to do is we want to help you engage. Uh, another one of the values that we talk a lot about at the table is ministry mindset. Using your gifts and passions to serve God's church and his mission. And we want that to happen for all of you. We believe that's an important part of the Christian life. And so um, we've got some cards in the back there that say serve on them. They're, they're the kind of cards that go in the pews there in Sunnybrook. And if you're interested, and if you go, man, I don't know where my gifts are, but I want to serve. I want to strengthen the church. There are cards back on these tables that you can fill out, and you can leave there on the table, or you can come hand to one of us, and someone will reach out to you. We would love to get you plugged in. And love to get you doing what you were made to do. Loving and serving God and loving and serving others. We also know this, that there's some of you here that don't go to Sunnybrook. And that's totally okay. You don't have to go to Sunnybrook. We want you to go somewhere. We want you to be involved somewhere. And so we've actually talked to a couple college ministers, most of the people we know that aren't at Sunnybrook. They either go to Countryside or they go to Eagle Heights. We also know that there's some that might go to uh, Grace here, we know some of the staff at Grace. Uh, we also know that there, uh, we've had some people who have come here from Center Church where Reed James is, we know him. Whatever church you're at, uh, if it's one of those, we've actually already talked to both Matts, and they're really excited. Um, we told them what we we're doing, and they're really excited to hear from you. And so we hope that you'll send them a text and say, hey, how can I start serving a church? And, and if it's not a name or number up on there, come talk to us because chances are we probably know that minister too. And we would love to help you get connected to them. Uh, this is what you were made for. And this is what we want for you. Let me pray and we'll be done. Dear God, I thank you. I thank you that you gave us a new identity in Jesus. And that uh, that identity leads to a whole different kind of life. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. And I pray for my friends in this room. Uh, that you would confirm that to them, that you would help them to know the great love that you have for them in Jesus, and that that love would compel them to want to love others like you have loved them. And I pray this, knowing that it might not happen immediately, but I ask for this gift and this blessing for them, that you would help them to know the gifts that you have given them, so that, Lord, they could put those gifts into practice for the good of your church and for their joy and also, most importantly, for your glory. I ask you that in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. There you go. Announcements. Um, we have a couple of announcements for you guys before we get out for the evening. So on the schedule, uh, we had karaoke session.